Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just want to sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you want to understand your audience better, stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Education Marketing Leader with Chris Raposa. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming my guest, Abu Noman, the CEO of Alliance Inc. Abu, welcome to the show. Well, I'm more than happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Very good. So Abu is going to present at the 2024 Cascade User Conference on SEO and how to increase enrollment through SEO. So we'll keep the conversation around that. And then if you want to learn more, you can join the user conference and um, participate in his sessions. But I always do a little bit of background on my guests. So Abu, I learned that you earned your MBA from Carnegie Mellon University with a concentration in entrepreneurship in marketing. And then you started Alliance, your company that is a marketing agency that partners with hired institutions you did that right after graduation. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, why you ultimately decided to serve the higher ed industry. Well, you know, all stories are personal stories. Uh, mine is no different than everybody else's story in, in, a, in a way. Um, you know, my story and that of higher education, and I would say that of SEO, I think they share one thing in common. And ours... All three of us basically are the stories in my mind of uh, underdogs, you know, of uh, Davids and Goliaths and of polishing diamonds in the rough. Um, I was, you know, I was born an underdog. I was born into an underdog family and uh, I was born in an underdog country, uh, Pakistan, and uh, into an underdog faith. I was raised as a Muslim, you know. And so I was the youngest of 11 and I I lost my dad when I was six, and he left behind nothing but a very, very, very loving family and a love for education and a spirit of uh, hustle, you know. And um, and so that that's that's where it all began. Um, I think what happened was, uh, you know. I mean, we were we found ourselves in a hole very early on, and the way to climb into the hole was through climbing the ladder of higher education, and um, and that led me to work my tail off, and I uh, earned a scholarship to in in computer science at Cornell, and then later a job at uh, a CS department in Carnegie Mellon, and there I worked on supercomputers, and we were doing machine learning algorithms, uh, powering uh, driverless cars, and uh, voice recognition uh, software and, and, and all the goodies uh, like that. Um, I got an MBA from there and decided uh, to combine sort of my love for computer science, psychology, mythology, folklore, and started what is now a digital marketing agency. And for me, I mean, you asked about the you know, higher education. For me, serving higher education was my way of repaying the debt 
that education had sort of uh, uh, created for me by, I mean, I felt indebted to education for allowing us to climb out of our hole. And that's my way of sort of repaying that. Mm -hmm. And so I bootstrapped lines. Um, I would say, you know, using the greatest equalizer on the earth, which is SEO, right? Um, with SEO, you can actually compete for page one of Google regionally, nationally, internationally, and you can actually outdo the, the large Goliaths. Um, and, um, you know, so if you look, look for, you know, higher education marketing agency, our education uh, uh, SEO agency, higher education website design agency, higher education branding agency, you name any of the keywords, you'll find, you know, alliance on page one of Google. And that's all, uh, that's been sort of the journey that I've been on for the last several years here. Okay, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that personal story. It's really deep and it shows you why why you're in it for so long since 1991, you know, that's, that's a long time, it's over 30 years. So kudos to you, congratulations on bootstrapping that company and still running strong. And you're just a great guy overall. That's why you're collaborating with, Cat at Hannon Hill all the time. So we don't let just anybody in, you know? Oh, but I appreciate it. Yeah. What about the underdog, you know, because there's something coming up that's called the demographic enrollment cliff and the high um, well-known institutions, they may, they may not have an issue getting enrollment, but then you have the smaller schools and the community colleges, right? They're going to be struggling to find uh, students to enroll, traditional age students. And right. SEO, like you said, will help them, uh, get up in the page one when people look for a certain um, degree and not just go to those big, well-recognized schools, but also get uh, awareness of the smaller ones. So uh, let's go back to 1991. Yep. How has the importance of SEO for higher institution evolved in recent years? And what are some of the unique challenges compared to other industries? Yeah, so you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, 1991, there was no, there was no Yahoo then. Yahoo was the first uh, directory that became the first search engine of the world, and then came a lot of things like Lycos and, you know, Altavistas and so on. And in 98, 99 is when I saw Google for the very first time, and I realized that they had done something very extraordinary. They were not going to trust the word of the marketer. They actually wanted to see what other people are talking uh, about the, mar the, the marketer uh, or the brand itself. And they trusted other people's uh, perspective rather than the perspective of what the brand was claiming itself to be, right? And so I, I loved, I fell in love with Google right away. I mean, we loved uh, Yahoo in the beginning and then slowly we realized the limitations of it. People were gaming the system and Google came along and saying, no, you don't have, you can't game the system. Interestingly, I mean, you know, you look at, you know, Google came out of academia, right? Came, came out of uh, Stanford and a few other places and the advisors of that came from Cornell's and, you know, MIT's and Carnegie Mellon's and all that stuff, but came out of uh, Stanford really. And, uh, but the irony of this whole thing is that higher education is still uh, far behind other industries when it comes to adoption of SEO, they are still very skeptical. Um, if you look at, for example, many retailers, they're the number one leading uh, industry in terms of their belief and their use of SEO. And if you look at, for example, manufacturing, you always think of manufacturing as, uh, as slow dogs, but they're actually, they're like little panthers running really, really fast. And I always appreciate the fact that they're like, they know the power of SEO and they're applying it 
and they're trying to get uh, you know page one Google rankings, and they're competing against very very large corporations. And many of our clients are like that too. They're like small underdog, you know, manufacturers, but we make them look like the 800 pound gorilla on page one of Google. So I think it varies from industry to industry, but I think I would say higher education is still far behind, you know? Yeah, yeah, perception is everything. If you're up there on uh, page one of Google, you know, people think, well, this must be important if they're up there all the way. Um, piggybacking on that skeptical and higher education, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think, I think early on, a lot of higher education institutions um, got uh, taken advantage of by, you know, I'd say people who really weren't SEO people. And so they just never developed the trust in SEO. And, uh, and so that's, I think that's where they think of this as like, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, snake oil sort of, you know, uh, salespeople. But truth is, Everybody that we have touched has turned into gold, has gotten page one rankings uh, locally, regionally, nationally, in some cases internationally. And I can attest to the fact that uh, every client we've ever touched has done exceedingly well on page one of Google. And for them, religion came after they got the results, not before. Before they kept thinking, you know, they've looked at me skeptically and they're like, hmm, show it to me, prove it to me. And I'm, I don't mind skeptical buyers. I mean, I've worked with them all the time. And so at the end of every relationship, you know, we basically look back and smile a little bit because they're like, oh, we really didn't believe you, did we? And I was like, no, it's okay. It's all right. You didn't believe us at all. But, but that's the story of our lives. People don't, they become believers through the journey, you know? Yeah. And so that's, that's the way I would say, I'd say it too. Yeah, a lot of people get burned. I heard those horror stories about them being taken advantage of because a higher education is filled with a lot of generalists and they may not be uh, you know, specialists on SEO. That's why they hire outside agencies like Alliance. But if you've been burned in the past, you're you're very careful moving forward, right? Because you're just like, hey, man, this guy can just sell me anything. I don't know for sure. Yeah. So yeah. that's why having a social proof on your website as an agency is always very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit bigger, uh, deeper into SEO. You, you've been around for a while. You've worked with a lot of institutions. What are some of the biggest mistakes uh, universities make uh, when it comes to SEO that may negatively impact their student recruitment efforts? Yeah. I mean, I would say there are three things, right? Uh, number one thing I think that I think uh, a lot of higher education institutions don't really think of is they're actually sitting on an ecosystem of content uh, that they're creating uh, all the way from program pages to thought leadership content to digital magazines to you name it. I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, I did a diagram and infographic once and there really are about 15 to 20 different uh, sources of content that, that are being produced within the university ecosystem. And so I think the first mistake that I think they make is that they don't think of the entire ecosystem. They think of it as like, oh, just the program pages or just the university magazine or just the news or just that. I think you have to think of it holistically. That's, I would say is the number one uh, issue that I see with higher education. This is the second thing, which I think is really important one. It's become really important in the last, you know, two, three years is now pretty much 50% of the searches are actually taking through voice search. And so with all the voice devices and everything else, I mean, I use Siri and I use different devices at home, 
for basically asking any questions that I might have. So I don't think higher education has sort of caught on to the fact that people are not really typing in two, two uh, token keywords or three token keywords. They're asking questions and questions are what, what are being answered by devices. So I think I would say the second uh, mistake that I see or the shortcoming that I see in higher education, they're still thinking on an antiquated model of uh, two keywords or, or three words making a keyword. Actually, the new currency of keywords is, uh, is conversations and frequently asked questions and questions people are asking and, and the response have to be formulated. The search results are formulated based on those questions. So that's the second thing. I would say the third thing that I sort of find uh, to be really interesting is that higher education is addicted to what I would call promotional uh, content model as opposed to publishing content model. Mm. I feel like the difference between promotional content model is promotional content is disposable. And when you look at publishing model, it's, you know, think about, you know, Lord of the Rings or any kind of like favorite books of yours and things like that. I mean, I, I've, I've read about 3000 books in my life and I've, I could tell stories after stories, but these are like enduring content. I think our education is sitting on a wealth of people who can actually produce enduring uh, content that could become legendary content, but they don't think of them themselves as uh, publishers. They think of themselves as um, in the promotion business. I think if they if they treat their content as uh, as, as 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 publishers, I think they would create a far deeper, far more interesting, and far more intriguing content that can be SEO optimized and get rank on search engines and can influence the rankings and influence the reputation of the institution itself. That, that's great advice. I love the, the promotion versus the publishing model because that reminds me of the interview you had with your colleague, Todd Urkel, and he did a webinar for Han and Hill where he talked about that concept and I forgot about it, but now that he brought it back to my memory, I'm going to go back to it because I'm the same way when I do my I feel like as a marketer, I feel that urge to just do the promotional, you know, but people don't want to be promoted to they, or, or advertise to, they want to hear the stories. And you, if you can share the stories, you know, and take them on a journey, they're much more willing to go on that journey with you and read your content. You know, it's interesting to say that, Chris, because, you know, they put a uh, human brain under MRI machines and what they found was in the story was... Uh, when facts were being presented, only parts of the brain lit up. But when you tell a story, the entire brain lights up, which is telling you something very powerful about the human constitution. Human beings were born, the, the first few things that they hear are stories and the last thing they tell are stories. I mean, story is the currency in my mind of what, 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 what great content is all about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's go, uh, let's do a use case, a, a case study, perhaps. Can you share some specific, or one specific uh, example of how successful SEOs campaigns have driven traffic and inquiries for and higher institution you worked with? Yeah, I got, I got dozens of stories, but let me tell you one or two quick ones, okay? Um, one is William Woods University is in the middle of Missouri, two hours from St. Louis, three hours from Kansas City University. So you, you know you go there, you land there, and it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. But you know the question really is, how do you sort of you know promote their wonderful set of programs? And so what the first thing we did was we looked at their programs, and we realized that their revenue drivers were online and grad programs, and and two or three distinctive programs that they had on the undergrad level, the ASL program and the equestrian science program, right? And the rest were commodity programs. So we like we came up with a strategy and we said, 
okay, let's dominate the state of Missouri because most of their, their brand elasticity is within the state of Missouri. Let's try to dominate um, for all the programs, dominate the state of Missouri for the distinctive programs, for the most uh, unique programs. Let's try to get national rankings. And so that's exactly what we did. And, and what happened was miraculous, which is that uh, their online um, you know, revenue, uh, enrollment uh, doubled in three years and their grad uh, enrollment uh, grew by 25% in those three years. And the undergrad sort of got consolidated as well. Um, so that, that's a, that's a and, then, and then they also attracted, for their distinctive programs in equestrian science and ASL, they attracted students from all over the country, like from Connecticut, from Colorado, from California, from Florida, you name it. And so I think that's, that's, that's one quick story. And I'll one more quick story, which I think you, you, your audience might enjoy also. There's this, this gem of a school in, in Austin, Texas, called St. Edwards University. And uh, they really had a strategic plan, and they wanted to grow their out-of-state enrollment from Texas to, from, uh, you know, they wanted to grow it from seven percent to twenty uh, percent in, in in over the period of about five six years. And so what we did was we um, we found out nuggets of where they had points of distinction, and they had been ranked as uh, top uh, Catholic schools by several um, uh, ranking rating agencies. And so we ran with that and we basically created uh, a campaign around uh, best Catholic schools. And, and they basically surfaced across the country and across the world. At one point I did a search and we found them on page one of Google in 190 different countries. And so within five, six years, I mean, they had achieved their 20% goal that they had set out to establish. And it's on the strength of every one of those keywords that we optimized for them. And I'll just give you an example of one of them, but I did a few of the others. But Every keyword became an entryway for out-of-staters and, uh, and out-of-country people. And that's how we basically helped achieve that. I could tell you lots more stories, but I think in the brevity of time, I'll just stop right there. That is that is amazing. That's that, Those are great results, great use cases there for sure. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Let's say to somebody listening, a smaller school, rural America, limited resources, what are the most essential SEO elements they should prioritize on their websites to attract prospective students? Yeah, you know, I love working with underdogs. I mean, I think underdogs are really great because they're they are definitely under resourced and they are definitely understaffed and they're definitely under budgeted. I love that, right? But I am also an underdog, and I know what how underdogs survive. They basically they try harder, they try smarter, right? And so I look at it. You know, when I look at their content, I always think, okay. If I had to prioritize, I would say academic program pages, and I would not look at program pages as a whole. I would actually look at program pages in clusters, like things like uh, signature programs, portfolio programs, and and then and then the rest of the program. That's one area that I think you can actually and anything that you have distinctive, I would go national SEO efforts. Anything that's um, that's less distinctive, you know, at least go for the regional and super regional. And uh, that's that's one. The second one that I would, if you know, I know most people don't think like that, but every university has a university magazine or alumni magazine. I think every if you digitize it and every so that every story is optimized, I think you can get national rankings and you can build a national reputation. And you can not only just get enrollment, but also you can build reputation with foundations, with donors, you name it. I mean, I think it's 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 one of those secrets that most people don't end up leveraging yet. Yeah, absolutely. That's great insights there. 
So I was going to talk about more keyword optimization, but let's switch over to a little bit more of uh, of content marketing. Sure. Uh, how can university leverage content marketing and SEO to position themselves as thought leaders? Like we talked about that earlier a little bit, right? And attract academically inclined students. Is that important for SEO? Yeah, I think it's really important, right? I mean, so in my mind, the most important ones are the, I think I would say this, faculty are, and researchers are really, to be honest, the, the fountains of thought leadership um, in universities, right? Mm -hmm. I think they're very busy, but if they can make contributions, that can make a huge difference. That's that's one part of it, right? Um, I think if they can't do it themselves, I would say get marketers to interview them mm -hmm. and let them write about their thought leadership. The thought leadership is really critical. And I have never met a university where thought leaders were not like floating all over the campus. They're every campus, every university, it's a question of mining those as gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense because they have so much, they have so limited time in writing a piece. Anybody that writes knows how long that takes to put a good piece together. But if you can get a 30 minute interview like we're doing right now and just have the questions ready, send them the questions so they can prepare for it, they're going to talk off the cuff and you'll be able to create a good um, reporting publishing piece out of out of that yeah. conversation, you know, because sometimes when they're sitting down, they may overthink things and they may not share everything. But as they talk uh, verbally, sharing their thoughts and their their insights, there may be some nuggets that you can ask about with follow up questions and get them out of them that may have otherwise not come out. So, and it's interesting. No chat GPT will be able to compete with thought leaders. I want you to know that. Yes. Okay. I mean, I know people are all about like the chat GPT this and chat GPT that, and you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, these uh, large language models and all this stuff, but I have never been able to find chat GPT to create the kind of content that comes out of the hearts and minds of faculty and the researchers. I love faculty and researchers because everything that comes out of them is completely original, completely new and completely different. And I just love that, you know? Yeah, I love those original thoughts that come out now. You you touched on Jad GPT. What's your what's your take on generative AI? And let's say people they just pump out a ton of content through AI. Do you, in your experience, um, do you think that AI generated content will hurt your SEO efforts? I you know I'll say this: if you generate a, you know Jad GPT generated content, you will produce what I would consider to be commodity content. Okay. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good assistive tool. It's a good brainstorming tool, but you can't use the content that comes out of it because it actually is very robotic. And I know you can do all sorts of you know prompt engineering and stuff to try to sort of make it a little bit this way or that way, but I have tested it myself thoroughly and I've had a lot of experts test it and they've not been able to figure out how to really get content that will actually romance people or seduce people into sort of you know buying into the brand itself. I think it's great, great storytelling, great research, great original content is not chat GPT's, uh, it's a regurgitation of, of, of old stuff and it's very robotic and it's very mechanical. I would use it as assistive technology, but I would not use it as a primary key driver itself. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a good assistant to help you get, get the process rolling, but I would never suggest anybody copy and paste exactly what it spits out. It's obvious. Now yeah. it's been out for about a year, you know, people recognize what's written by AI. And um, it's just a, it's, it's a turnoff because they know you didn't put the effort in there. 
you know what's interesting to me in there is that the first impression really matters to a prospect or their family. And if the first impression is robotic, can you imagine what that says to the brand? I mean, what, what it does to the brand? It's really terrible impression. When somebody comes to your house, you want to put the best quality of everything in front of people. The same thing is true for the first contact is actually through content, through SEO and page one rankings. And so you want to basically amplify the invitation from the certain optimization rankings or invitations. When you go land somewhere, you need to amp up the message, not turn this into a robotic flat message. You need to sort of tell great stories at the time. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to SEO, when it comes to content marketing, when it comes to that investment, the proofs in the pudding, right? People want to see the analytics, what's actually going on. What are some key SEO metrics that you track for hired institutions and how do you use that data to inform and optimize uh, enrollment strategies? That's a great question. Let me tell you, I think a decade ago, Google did great disservice. You know, they used to have keywords in Google Analytics and then they stripped that data out. Now it only sits in another tool called Google Search Console, but it's not tied directly to how people came. It's much more aggregated data. So it's not as useful, but it's still important to know, right? Um, so brand impressions, of course, we, we measure that from you know Google Search Console. Uh, you look at organic traffic as a percentage of the total website traffic. You look at ratio branded, non-branded traffic, uh, you know, a percentage of leads and uh, applications coming from, you know, organic traffic and SEO traffic, and those are important. One of the data points that I always try to look at is like, if we are running any paid campaigns, paid campaigns have, have real data in them. We try to leverage that data to try to inform some of the uh, SEO strategies as well. So we look at, of course, third-party tools, but we also look at your actual paid data to try to find out how to really come up with the optimal strategy for you. Okay. Yeah, Google Search Console, definitely something to look into. Looking ahead, 2024, 2025, uh, enrollment cliff is looming. It's coming, especially in 2025. How do you see the relationships between SEO and enrollment evolving in the next few years? Yeah, I think SEO belief is, is on the rise. I think, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Hunger, hunger, is, hunger is creating believers. I would say this. Uh, I think for the first time, I'm beginning to see people buying into the gospel of paid one uh, um, rankings. And uh, I think that the biggest thing that's going to happen is people are going to look at their entire ecosystem of content that they're creating as an opportunity to try to get paid one rankings. Every school that we have worked with who's, who's on the cusp of this sort of you know, clip already, after one or two years, they look back and they're like, why didn't we see this before? And it's so important, it's so crucial. Almost every one of my clients, SEO clients, in a year, year and a half of effort, they end up going to the board of directors meetings. And that's how powerful they, they realize how page one you know, positions are, 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 are gold, they're destiny making for them. And that's, that's what I'm gonna say on that. You know? Hunger is creating believers. That's the quote of the day for today. <laughs> Finally, as we bring the episode to a close, what is one piece of advice you would give to a hired marketer who wants to improve their SEO efforts in 2024? By this time, you know that I never give one piece of anything. I can give you a few pieces of advice. You know? Okay. Um, I, would, I would start with that thing that I shared earlier on, which is think of the entire ecosystem, 
you know, in your college or university as a, as a raw material for harvesting SEO opportunities. That's number one. I think the second thing I, I, I also hinted at earlier was this idea that, you know, consider yourself more like a publisher rather than a, a you know, a producer of disposable promotional uh, campaigns only, you know. I think it's okay to have a little bit of both, but I would say I would err more on the side of, from my SEO perspective, I'd err more on the side of creating enduring uh, a publish, publishable, a worthy, worthwhile reading valuable content. That's what people want, you know. Um, the third thing I would say is uh, focus on voice search. I think I hinted at that earlier as well. People are really sort of using those devices very extensively, and I think that number is going to go up to 60% or 70% in the next couple of years. So I'd really focus on the voice search. Um, I would also sort of, you know, um, I would, I know the temptation is so strong for chat GPT and stuff. I would really be very mindful of using it as a means of creating content, but using it much more as assistive technology. Uh, and assistive technology is great. I would use it there, but don't don't delude yourself into believing that just because you create uh, content, more content, you'll get more rankings. More rankings can also lead to sudden death because if somebody comes to a page that looks robotic, your brand impression is dead on arrival. It's not worthy. And finally, I mean, I'll just say the last thing is make sure that you keep the content uh, human centered and human friendly because ultimately we're all human beings trying to touch each other's hearts and minds and souls. If we want to win, we want to win people's um, you know futures, then we have to win their hearts, you know. And then if you win their hearts and minds, I think the wallets will follow as well. That's good advice. Yeah, I love that you said focus on voice search. That means focus on long tail keywords. Apu. Thank you. I want to know how can people get in touch with you if they hear this episode and they want to connect with you? Yeah, so it's uh, abu at alliance.com and I'll spell that out, A-B-U, abu at alliance is the word alliance with an E, E-L-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. And, yeah, and also you'll, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there as well. And uh, so if anybody wants to reach out, I'm more than happy to connect and chat with you guys. And if you want to learn more about the topic, join his session at the 2024 Cascade User Conference happening between February 20th and the 22nd. He'll present on the topic more in depth there. Abu, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Thank you so very much, Chris, and look forward to the next, next presentation together, okay? All right, take care. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show today. If you enjoyed it, don't keep it to yourself. Share with your friends in your network. And if you have a moment, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast that'll help other people find the show as well. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. when I release another episode. Take care now. Have a good one, friends.